Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. Try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Okay, Strangely. What do we know about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I know everything. Yeah, I mean, aside from what I've forgotten, which is a lot, uh, me too. <laughs> Friends, this is our very first of what we are going to call revisits, mm-hmm. where we actually go back and rewatch the pilot of a show that we have both seen all of, but not revisited the pilot in some time. Uh, so neither of us, I think this is accurate, mm-hmm. have watched the pilot in a number of years. Yeah, I would say the last time I watched the pilot was more than five years ago. I've rewatched a lot of Buffy since then, but on most of my personal rewatches, I usually will start season two because that's where, you know, Spike and all this other stuff shows up. So I like I feel like the series really hits its stride with season two. But at the same time, season one has all of these things that were present right from the very beginning that ended up resonating through the whole show. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. That's my memory of it anyway. Yeah. I have watched all of the show. I watched it all in one, like, marathon. Not one marathon, obviously. I have seen all of the show, and I believe I started watching it seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so long after it was off the air, I decided I was finally going to watch this show that uh, people were so into. It was probably closer to 10 years ago now that I think about it. But uh, I'd heard so many things about the show over the years, but I'd never watched it. I never watched it uh, at the time when it was on TV. Didn't sound like my kind of thing back then. Uh, it, and then, of course, I loved it and ended up watching the whole thing. I have never gone back and rewatched any of it except for the musical episode. I've watched that a couple of times. And I'm, I've probably seen little bits of different episodes, but honestly, I've never watched any of it. So this will be my first time going back uh, at all, aside from, aside from that uh, good, good musical. And I'm really excited about the concept of these visit revisits yeah. because I just like talking about pilots. I like yeah. looking at a series trying to establish its identity and sort of what it builds into and... This is a series that we both have a lot of familiarity with the entirety of the series. We've both seen the whole series. Yeah. Because there are even there are a lot of things like the original Star Trek series where the, that pilot is really interesting. But I, I haven't watched every single episode of the original series in order and have like a deep working knowledge of the series. Yeah. You know? Whereas with Buffy, I, I do. And I have a lot of behind the scenes knowledge and everything because I just... I've marinated in it for so long. Yeah. I, I think it would be really interesting to be able to watch a pilot with the knowledge of where the show actually went mm-hmm. and try to decide you know, how much of this, how much of what is in the pilot ended up continuing throughout the show. And of those things, which of them do we think they, you know, really intended and how much of it was them kind of going, oh, you know, we said this thing in the pilot that could mean other thing and right. you know go off with it so that'll be really interesting to sort of see how much of the show that we love is present in the pilot well shall we go grab that dvd off your shelf and yeah. watch this pilot let's do it let's right. watch buffet the vampire slayer <laughs> slayer of the vampire <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Great! 
That's what it is. <laughs> All right, so we just watched the pilot. Well, it's important to note yeah. that there was an unaired pilot of Buffy. And we did not watch that. I think we talked about the possibility, but we felt like that would be a different thing. It would be very interesting to watch that old unaired pilot and dissect it. Yeah. We, what we wanted to watch was the beginning of the show. Yeah. So we, in fact, watched the first two episodes, technically. Uh, Welcome to the Hellmouth. And the harvest because they're a two-part episode. And it, you know that's something that we've talked about on the show before. That like, do we watch the unaired pilot or the first the pilot? Because like some yeah. shows have a backdoor pilot on another show. Yeah, sometimes the pilot and the first episode are not the same thing. Right. So I think we have erred on the side of first episode because that's the first time that people encounter it, and it is the sort of the beginning of yeah. the like long-running continuity yeah. of the show. Despite the fact that the show is called Pilot House, I think that you and I are both a little more interested in the beginning of a show than we are specifically in, like, the secret origin or something. If yeah. there, For some shows where there is, like, an on-aired pilot where they have to reshoot. I've never actually watched the Buffy on-air pilot, and I would love to do so. And I'm just going to go on the air without even asking Strangely first and say, if someone wants to hop on Patreon or buymeacoffee.com slash pilothouse and donate... I want to say $100. Uh, we will do a special episode just for you. Yeah. Where we watch the Buffy original on-aired pilot. I have also never seen and, that. And dissect it. And then it'll be up to you whether you we share it with the world. Yeah. It'll be totally yours. You can listen to it and never share it with anyone. I just made that up, guys. You could get a bespoke pilot house episode. Yeah. But not totally bespoke because we're just... No. You know what? We'll watch something else if you want us to watch something else for 100 bucks. Yeah. Just get yeah. it. I'll, I'll watch... I'll watch most shows for a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot I wouldn't watch. Maybe The Walking Dead. Yeah, but but you know we could we no, could do an episode no, where I no watch shade, it. No shade on The Walking Dead, no. particularly. I just don't do uh, zombies. So. But like maybe I could watch it and then describe it to you, and you would react oh, to my descriptions. Perfect. That would be, or, oh, yeah. we just invented a whole new thing. Anyway, point is that we watched the first two episodes, the beginning. Of what would become a an infamous long-running show. Well, fairly long-running. Seven seasons is yeah. a pretty good run. Yeah. Seven seasons that ended on its own terms. Yeah, and seven seasons of a not super... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a, a more serialized show with an overarching story and, yeah. you know seasons with like they always had like a big bad of the season rather than like say cheers where it was more about whatever was happening that that episode or or sitcoms that are a little more individual episodes Buffy would be a harder show for example to just like leap into a random episode than some shows that ran longer I guess I'm saying seven seasons is pretty good for a show with an overarching story well and that that's Something that I, I think Buffy did often strike the balance because my initial exposure to Buffy was catching, you know, a couple of random episodes on on television here mm-hmm. and there. And it was like every episode does a pretty good job of being like, this is the girl who's a superhero. These are the nerdy friends who help her. Yeah. This is the guy who's like their mentor. Like, you know, you can still sit down and watch an individual, a lot of individual episodes of Buffy and still kind of vibe with it and get what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that's true. They in, did a lot of, mon- you know, Monster of the Week yeah. and all that. In a way that 
like with modern serialized television, you just can't you can't watch like episode six of season two of Stranger Things and get anything yeah. out of yeah. it. This was kind of in the early days of when people were starting to go like, we could tell bigger stories here. We don't have to just be like, and this week Lucy does another funny thing. Right. You know. No, also no shade on Lucy. Just a different time. But uh, yeah, should we start with, we would normally discuss what were we wrong about in right. our What We Know. But since this is a show we've both seen, I thought we would discuss what about it was different from what we remembered. Yeah. Uh, boy, David Boreanaz is like a He's so baby. Smooth. He's so, so smooth. smooth. Yeah. I gotta tell you, the first time I watched Buffy long after it had aired, mm-hmm. when I first saw his face, I didn't recognize him. This time, I definitely was like, yes, this is a young David Boreanaz. But right. like, when I first watched it, I didn't recognize him immediately. I did not know who it was. And I knew who David Boreanaz was. I'd seen his picture on the cover of DVDs of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I'd only apparently ever seen ones from later seasons. Right. Where he gets a little bigger and meatier and sort of... And that kind of is across the board for everybody. Like, just... Yeah, I feel like him in most notably. Well, that's the thing with vampire shows, right? Like, you never know when you're casting someone whether they are going to suddenly, especially younger people, right. you never know if they're suddenly going to like, oh, you got a whole man face yeah. in the later seasons. Well, hopefully no, it was gradual enough that nobody notices. As opposed to James Marsters, who looks pretty much the same now. Yeah. It it is interesting, even like uh, Joyce Buffy's mom, like oh. thinking like how <laughs> so young. how young she looks, yeah, and oh. uh, Anthony Head, like he looks so much younger. Yeah, I mean at least at least with him. I mean I, I suppose with uh, oh C- Catherine Sutherland. Sutherland, yeah. This is it not Catherine something like that who plays Joyce. She she did look younger. I felt like. Uh, Giles, Tony Head, just looked, I mean, like slightly younger, but he still looks like himself. He he had arrived at an age where oh. he was like, you know. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess I need to explain what I yeah. mean by everybody looks younger. I am just, this show still in my mind is when I was watching it at like 14, 15 and sort of how I was viewing oh, everybody. sure. Yeah. And so like now Buffy and Willow and Xander, like even though they're like 20 somethings playing high schoolers. They still look so young to me now, and yeah. like I'm oh, looking at you Alison know, Hannigan and, is yeah. just tiny. She's yeah. an infant. She was actually, I think, 18 or 19 when she was cast on the show, but like looking at particularly Joyce and um, Giles, I'm like, they don't look that old. Like I, I remember watching it that as a teenager a point, and being like, Giles, old. Yeah, he's like, practically old. dead. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. And now I had a different it, experience. I watched it in like my mid like twenties. So. Right, but it, like I mean, it, I've watched bits of the show since then. But it's like especially watching this first episode and mm-hmm. thinking about like my initial exposure to the show and kind of yeah. how I orig- how I still think of it in my mind. Yeah, is is an odd experience. It's funny. I I mean, I, there weren't that many things that I remembered wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but. That first scene is so iconic. It was such a perfect way, I think, to introduce the vibe of the show 
and to kind of set you up for what was coming. Right. The initial scene, of course, um, a guy and a girl break into the school. She's all scared. She's kind of like dressed like a schoolgirl. She's like, you go to school here? And the guy's in a leather jacket and he looks all dangerous. And he's like, I used to, you know. Oh. And he's like, come on, what are you scared of? I don't bite. He didn't say I don't bite. That's later. But like, he's being all kind of creepy and like, come on. And she's like, I don't know. Oh, I'm scared maybe there's somebody here or whatever. And then it turns out she's Darla. She's the vampire. I love that she became so important in the show later and she was right there in the very first scene. Yeah, she's the very first scene. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's one of the two first faces that you see. And like, I remembered it being shot and edited better though. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's so iconic and so well done. But I remembered that scene where she finally goes... I thought I heard someone. He's like, there's nobody here. She goes, are you sure? And he goes, yes. And then she says like, good. And then vamps out and and bites him. I just remembered the transition of her being like, I remembered her turning around vamp face and being like, good. Instead, she's like, good. And then turns around because, you know, the transitions had to be for the time period edited pretty well to show, you know, because there was no CG of the face vamping. They think they later they did some video effects or CG. There's a, there's there's no CG. It's like there. It's I can't remember the name of the effect. It was used a lot in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, where it's, it's a, an on screen transition. Yeah. Yeah. At but least. the on screen transitions are just. It's like a weird. It's a morph. A morph. A visual yeah. Right. Morph. I don't think they did that in this episode. I think they were all somebody turns and then they're. I think they they were they were uh, uh, holding on to the budget there because. Yeah. The to, we'll we'll get into that later. All right, well, uh, let's, uh, shall we get into that uh, that recap? Yeah. Now, normally we do a one-sentence synopsis based on, you know, just watching the pilot. I, th- I feel like anything we would say would just be like, well, yes, that's Into boxing. every generation, there is born a girl. Well, yeah, they <laughs> one, do that little One bit. girl in all the world, yeah. They do that bit right at the beginning. Yeah. We were commenting while we were watching it. It's odd that they didn't uh, blend it into the intro. Mm-hmm. It's it's it feels like a studio note where they were like or network note they're like oh we need like a one sentence thing that goes like here's what this show's about yeah. sit right back and you hear a tale of a girl in all the world like they had to have one line <laughs> where they were like into each generation right but it, it it happens before the cold open yeah which I think is probably one of those studio notes that even though it it feels bizarre and dumb now in the age of binge watching, Mm -hmm. I think that was probably one of the things that allowed them to do this overarching story thing is like, look, we're going to explain the basic premise of it right up front so that we don't have to spend any time doing that. And I mean, dialogue, it it seems weird that they didn't do it, but um, I now am thinking about it. I personally hate an intro sequence with any talking in it because you hear it over and over (laughs) Oh my God, if you've watched numbers, you know what I'm talking about. We all use math every day. Oh my God. I wanted to punch David Grimmel every time I heard him oh, say that. Oh, come on. The, the Turbo Teen opening is so good. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know look, that show. Look, yeah. listeners, go on YouTube. Find the opening credits. Oh, is that the one with the kid who turns into a car? Okay, yes. That's funny. That's funny. I'm that's talking about so otherwise good. good shows where you wanted to punch the intro because even though you fucking love... Nathan Fillion, you're tired of hearing him say, I really am ruggedly handsome because you've heard him say it like 35 billion times. Anyway, for that reason, I'm glad they didn't blend it in. And now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if they did that on purpose. They were like, we're hoping the network will let us 
ditch this eventually. Yeah. So we want our intro sequence to just be this sweet-ass Nerf Herder song with a montage of, of Sarah Michelle Gellar kicking ass. Right. Like, we we want to keep this little, like, into every generation thing separate so we can click it out. Click it out? Clip it out later, easily. <laughs> Possibly that is true. Anyway, but uh, let's just get into the actual synopsis. I'm assuming most of the people listening to this, if they haven't seen all of Buffy, they're at least have like a, a cursory understanding of what it's about. But the show begins with Sarah Michelle Gellar playing Buffy Summers. She's peppy and blonde and adorable. Uh, and she's starting our first day at a new school, a new high school. It's implied that she left her old high school under somewhat shady circumstances. Uh, and she and her mom have just moved to this new town. And it's, you know, a recurring theme through the episode from the mom is like, we're starting over. This is a new leaf for us. I've been listening to a lot of self-help tapes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. All the tapes say I have to get used to saying that. No. She's so cute. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she starts at this new school. But we've already seen the scene with Darla and her mm-hmm. prey. So we know that shit's going to go down. And it's not until she goes to the library to get her textbooks, like yeah, to get new tech, and th- something that I am not clear on is like how far into the school year is this happening? Yeah, I thought it was the first day of a new school year, but then they, they're saying other other she's worried about being behind in her classes. Yeah, and the other uh, yeah the other kids are talking about like homework and stuff like that. So it seems obvious that the the school year has already begun. Which is a, a, that is a really fascinating thing about this show is that the that we're getting a lot of expo log and whatever about the slayer stuff of her life, you mm-hmm. know, the vampires and how that all works. And, you yeah. know, first I suck you, they have to suck your blood. Then you suck their blood. It's a whole big sucking thing. Yeah. But like, we're not getting a lot of what in many other shows would be the most like minimum basic expo log for like, you know, but mom, I don't know if I'll fit in. The school year's been going for two and a half months. Yeah. There's like none of that kind of stuff. What? I won't even make any friends and enough time to have anybody to go to the winter formal with or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, we don't get any of that stuff because, that, I mean, really, the school, the school is the least important part of the show. Yeah. Not, I mean, the school, the kind of community of the school and the setting is actually pretty important to the show. But it's just one of those things where they never do any coursework and no one ever talks about it. Just like on the young ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's totally different. But, you know, it's it's common, I feel like, for a TV show where the cast are students, but the show is not about school. Right. That it's just kind of like whatever. Like, I don't feel like they talked that much about homework on Veronica Mars, you know. It's sort of like that thing in the Twilight books where the main character is kind of vaguely defined and it I'm allows sorry, you to lost me. put yourself into the character. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- sort of like the the town and the school of Sunnydale is so vaguely defined that mm-hmm. it could be your school. Sure. It's yeah. sort of like you can well, you can connect to it by having it be less defined. That iconic uh, front of the of the building of the school, I think that building has been used in just a number of tv shows and movies mm-hmm. like doesn't the big the front of that school feel just like it could be any school yeah and yet if you actually look at it it's it's a pretty cool old building mm-hmm. i didn't go to a high school that looked like that i don't think a lot of california high schools look like that but that particular building i think has been used in so many things i wish i could rattle off a few but 
I think it might have been used in the craft, but it, I know it was. I've heard people comment on the fact that that school has been used in a lot of right. TV shows and movies to the point that it feels very like it could be any school, right. even though. It's a specific building. I think that's kind of cool. It's a school building from Central Casting. Yes. <laughs> Get me a school building. So Buffy has arrived at a new school. Yes. And she's trying to fit in. And she almost immediately is kind of taken taken under the wing of the Queen Bee popular girl, Cordelia. Because she's pretty and dresses well. And she's from Los Angeles. So that's the important thing. That Cordelia, because people definitely name their children Cordelia, uh... Which is somehow still less a less ridiculous name than Charisma. I know. The actress's right? name is Charisma. I know. Charisma Carpenter. And her character's Cordelia. And it's like... Cordelia Chase. Cordelia Chase. Charisma Carpenter. <gasps> I never actually put that together. Like, how often do they say Cordelia's full name? So, Cordelia walks her to the library. Right. And... Oh, the like, little bit where she's like, I have to test you on your coolness factor? Yeah. And one of the things she says is James Spader. And Buffy says, uh, he needs to call me. And I'm like, really? When was this? 97? Was James Spader hot in 97? I think of him as more of an 80s actor. Yeah. I guess I'm wrong. Or the writers were very wrong. The were, Joss was well, very wrong. Were high school students hot for James Spader in 97? Look, I was a high school student in 97. I was only a year behind the characters in this show. Yeah. Nobody I knew thought James Spader was hot, but then I wasn't friends with the Cordelias and the Buffies of my high school. I, I honestly think that that was the beginning of Joss's, you know, d- 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 over a decade plan to court James Spader and get him to be in a Joss project because he finally did get to work with him. Oh, did he really like him? Was he was that a thing? Because uh, when Joss worked with James Spader on Avengers Age of Ultron, there was like interviews where he's like, I can't believe I finally get to work with James Spader. He's just incredible. And like, I love his voice. Oh, so that so was just Joss tipping his hand that he has a fucking crush on James Spader. I think that's, that's how I read it. Now. Got it. All right. Noted. <laughs> uh, and we see Cordelia kind of like mean girls all up on this girl named Willow. Oh, she, yeah, she totally shits on Willow and says like, Nice dress. It's good to see that you found the softer side of Sears, which, wow, what a dated reference. Which, for me, watching this show as a teenager, like, Willow was immediately the girl that I thought was cute. Yeah. Because she actually dressed like girls I knew. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Buffy and Cordelia, I was like, I don't know anybody. They look anybody. like adults. Yeah. They look I mean, like... Buffy's wearing so much makeup in the first scene. Yeah. On the first day. They look like adults, and they dress like... TV, they dress like soap opera people from California. Yeah. Like, I've actually heard it said that apparently Buffy was sort of considered at the time to be sort of pushing the envelope of fashion. Uh-huh. Like, they weren't just accurately capturing fashion. They were, like, setting fashion trends for high schoolers at the time. Which makes me think that they were taking their cues from adult fashion, not right. from actual teenage fashion. That makes sense. Whereas Willow kind of does have that look. Like there's, I, I can't remember if it was um, where it is in the first season, but there's like a really iconic shot of Willow wearing like you know the bib overalls. I think it's because mm-hmm. they used it in the opening credits in later seasons. But yeah. it's like 
It's just like, that looks like people that I know. Yeah. They, they really leaned into making her look nerdy and childish, especially in the early part of the show. She develops her own style she looks as like... the show goes on. But even as the show goes on, she always looks age appropriate. She never turns into, they never start putting her in miniskirts like Buffy. She retains right. her own thing. There's but... a few episodes where she dresses like that. And it's, like, used thematically for her being, like, out of place or, or mm-hmm. a body switch or, like, something something not good is happening. I think the evil me is kind of gay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. uh, Cordelia drops Buffy off at the library and Buffy goes in to, like, try to get her school books. And the librarian is, like, a stuffed, stuffy British guy. And he's like, yeah. oh, yes, I have just the books you need. I know what you're looking for. <laughs> Giant book vampire. Vampire. What a I love the, when she's like, that's not what I'm looking for. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, my mistake. Like, he genuinely is like, oh, shit. I showed the vampire book to some random teenager. My bad. What did you need again? But she's already dashed yeah, off, she's of course. Like, Peace. So we find out that she definitely had the experience of fighting vampires at her old school. It, her exploits got her kicked out of her school, which sort of suggests that the events of the film mm-hmm. are sort of the prequel to the TV show. Not a direct line, obviously, because uh, there's stuff in the movie that they retconned for the show. Don't they um, do a flashback episode at some point where the guy who played her watcher in the movie is also in an episode? I feel like they brought that actor back. Donald Sutherland? I don't think so. Is Donald so. Sutherland the Isn't one? Is that Donald Sutherland? I've never seen the movie. I don't know. Re- oh, no, oh, I wish you didn't have plans tonight. I have it on VHS, buddy. We should watch it. It's really... Yeah. It, it's not good. <laughs> I, don't, I did not think it would be. It is something to see, though, especially to see how different it is from the show. That, like, the show is what Joss was trying to do and couldn't achieve. Right. Because he didn't have enough weight with the studio and the, with the film. But right. there's things, specific things like the fact, in the film, for example, mm-hmm. the vampires can fly. Uh-huh. So I love that they make a reference to that in the pilot, in the first episode. She says, uh, as soon as the vampires got out of the, of the, uh, of the graveyard, then zoom. And Xander's like, they can fly? And she goes, no, they can drive. And I love that little, like, it's like looking at the audience who'd seen the movie and being like, we're, we're not doing flying again. That's not happening. That's, yeah. do, we don't have the budget for flying vampires. They also look completely different. In the, sh- in the movie, they have, like, weird bat ears. Uh-huh. And they just, I think they just look pale. Maybe they have yellow eyes or something. It's been years since I watched it. They don't have the crazy, like... Ridge face. Like a Klingon on crack kind of, like, a big forehead situation, you know? Like a Klingon and a Bajoran who were both on crack had a little crack baby. I'm sorry. Let's go away from Star Trek. Get back to Buffy. So I, I appreciated the, the, that little uh, wink to yeah. people who'd seen the movie. And also a very subtle way to establish the rules of this universe because every vampire movie or show or book, one of the first things they have to do, well, in Supernatural in general, anything based on folklore, mm-hmm. uh, they have to kind of go, look, here's which... Here's what we're doing and here's what we're not doing. Right. And I love how usually, especially in vampire things, there's at least one thing that someone will make fun of. And in that line, it was a bit of a, you know, like, they can fly? No, they can drive. Right. Dummy. She didn't say dummy, but that's the tone of like, don't be silly. Of course they can't fly. Right. But like, there's always one show where somebody tries to like shove a garlic... A globe, of, a, a globe, a bulb of garlic at a vampire and they're like, really? You thought the garlic thing was true? Come on. Like... 
I love when they do that because there's always plenty of other things that are dumb that they yeah. keep. I mean, garlic works in the Buffy verse for Pete's sake. Yeah. Let's not even get into the Christian imagery and how I have strong feelings about that. It's a, yeah, I. So we we established pretty quickly that uh, you know pretty much all of the vampire rules apply here except for flying. Yeah. Oh, and they don't turn into bats, but they haven't established that yet. Yeah, well, one of them does turn into bats <sighs> later. When Dracula oh. shows up, he does turn yes, into bats. Yes, but he's Dracula. It's canon that he turns into bats. That's a special... Oh, God. We're not, let's not get into that. Anyway. <laughs> he turned me into a bug-eating man, bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> uh, last thing kind of in this whole introductory school sequence is we are introduced to two more classmates... Xander, who is like... Oh, yeah, sorry, I totally skipped Xander. Affable goofball. Yeah, he's skateboarding in the first scene, I believe, although I might be wrong, I think that's the last time we see him on a skateboard. Yeah. Like, they wanted to establish him as, like, he's a skater, it's the 90s, but then they ditched it, like, almost yeah. immediately. There's also his, uh, his best friend, uh, sorry, his bud. His bud, Jesse. Jesse. Played by Eric Balfour, who... It's one of those actors who, for no and no fault of his own, I don't think, uh, always annoys me. His his face, I'm just like, you're gross. Get away. His his face Creeps is is a physical manifestation of a dude going, hey. Yeah. Oh my god, he's so creepy and six feet under. Ugh. With his anyway. toes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But seriously, like every dude he who ever went. A creep. Hey. Isn't he in the became craft? Eric I think Balfour. he's in the craft, too. He's a fucking creep in the craft. This guy just, he really carved out a niche of playing high school douchebags. And I think he looks actually like a high schooler. He looks less annoying in this episode of Buffy because he actually looks like a teenager. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of the other things, I mean, by the time Six Feet Under came out, he had to be in his like late 20s and he's still playing a freaking high school student. Let's see. After uh, uh, we meet the, the, the affable goofballs, mm-hmm. who we establish right away that Buffy is more interested in being friends. With the freaks and the with geeks. With the freaks and geeks, which is interesting. They don't really give us a reason for that. No, because she is absolutely being handed popular girl status on a platter and she does not want it. Yeah. She initially is is into it. She likes, she seems to be kind of bonding with Cordelia. Mm. But when Cordelia is openly hostile and cruel to Willow, Buffy's definitely like doing the face of like, this is not okay. She doesn't say anything, but she's like, "Mm." and she kind of watches after Willow as Willow walks away. Like, is she okay? She almost has a look of like, I feel like I should know that person. You know, I feel a premonition that this person will be very important to me. Yeah. Which, she doesn't say that, but it's a little bit... I think that was supposed to be a little bit of foreshadowing of, like, she knew somehow that Buff, that Willow would be important. Not not so much when she first meets uh, Xander, who she drops a bunch of things, and he goes, can I have you? I mean, can I help you? Which, yeah. Has everyone, anyone ever made an actual slip of the tongue like that? I don't know, but, like, there are multiples of those in this. Well, then, when she, she goes up to Willow, and is like, hi... I'm kind of behind on my classwork and I thought you might be able to help me. And Willow's like, oh, yeah, sure. But I thought you were hanging out with Cordelia. And she goes, mm, I can't do both. Willow says, not legally. It's adorable. So cute. When Xander comes over right after that, he actually does a very funny, clever bit where he doesn't trip over his tongue at all. Yeah. And he's like, 
She says, oh, Buffy, this is Xander. And he goes, oh, we go way back. Old friends. Then there's a period of estrangement, but I'm glad that we're here together now, making it work. It's actually very funny. Yeah. Very smoothly delivered bit. Very smooth. But fucking Eric, Eric Balfour is like, uh, did you just become like a blubbering idiot? I think he says blibbering, but not even a word. Yeah. Who's the blibbering idiot here? It's you, Jesse. That's why you don't get to stick around. Hey. Uh, so then they go fun, to the bronze fun that fact night. Oh, sorry. About him not sticking around. Joss really wanted to have him in the opening credit sequence as like one of the leads. Oh, to really trick people. Yeah, and mm. the network wouldn't give him the budget to make two opening credit sequences. Oh. Cuz he thought it would really be impactful to have him die and it would really underscore if he like actually died and then he wasn't in the opening credit sequence the next week. That is such a freaking Whedon thing to do. Yeah. Oh, how could I make this hurt people more? <laughs> Let them really get attached to the idea of this guy being part of our team, you know, one of our heroes, and then kill him. Anywho. Uh, so then they go to the bronze. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the bronze. Yeah. Uh, Buffy, for some reason, has, like, black PVC, like, bondage wear in her closet. Uh-huh. Uh, she doesn't wear it, but she she has she holds it up and goes, "Hi, I'm a massive slut," and then holds up like a flower print dress and goes, "Would you like a copy of the Watchtower?" Like, Ugh, I used to be so good at this. I'm like, "Yeah, pick something in the middle, dumbass." Like, I don't know, just pick, wear what you were wearing at school earlier today. That looked better yeah. than either of those. It was a little over the top, but we get to see Joyce a little more in that scene. She says, "Like, I know we're gonna make it work in this town. It's yeah. gonna be okay. You just fell in with a bad crowd." <laughs> Anyway. So Buffy goes down to the bronze and... The the confusing dance club where there's alcohol, but also coffee, and they definitely do not check ID. The bronze is 1,010% whatever it needs to be for any given episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is a place that is... That is High schoolers can go in, and it's a tiny little bar in a small town, yet also Amy Mann plays there. Yeah. Like, at some point in the series. Yeah, I was trying to... I meant to look up what band was playing that first scene, because I'm sure it was a band. Yeah, They did that a lot. Full grunge band going going at it. I love that they did a close-up on the fact that the guy was wearing shorts with, like, sneakers and socks. Like, see? The 90s. But they didn't know. Right. They didn't know. Uh, Anyway... uh, she goes to the bronze, is feeling awkward, Buffy, and then sees um, Willow. Willow goes up and starts chatting with Willow and tells her, you know, seize the day, you could be dead tomorrow. Then she sees Giles, runs mm. off to go confront him and be like, "Hey, get out of my space! I'm not gonna do this Slayer stuff." Because he's really he's doing the hard sell of like, yeah. "I'm the Watcher." You yeah. There I'm was just... an earlier scene where she goes back to the yeah. library and says, "Look, I'm not doing this shit." And he goes, yeah, but you're here, so yeah. clearly you are going to. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm just here to tell you I'm not going to do it. I'm over the, the Slayer stuff. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it. There's some dead kid who was found in the locker, the kid that Darla killed, blah, blah, blah. That's all, barely important to the plot. It yeah. just signals uh, to both Giles and Buffy that there's there's vamps about. So then, But yeah. it's important because Xander was in the library and overheard right. and goes like, what? <laughs> Uh, so then Giles and Buffy are looking out at all the people in the club and Giles is like, can you see any vampires in here? And Buffy's like, 
that guy. What he's saying, you don't, you need to hone your skills. You should be able to sense a vampire. Reach out with your feelings. Find, sense the vampire in the room. And she goes, well, that guy. And he's like, but you didn't, set, how do you know? And she describes basically that his his outfit is very unfashionable. Yeah. And so he must have been living underground for 10 years, which is a cute moment. But yeah, of course, Giles is like, I know, but good. But like, at the same time, you should be able to like tell without having to assess people's fashion. Uh, oh, wait. But that does, that is like, a, that multiple times through the series, like that is how they spot the vampire. Like there's another episode where she's like, the last time that look was in Disco is King or something like yeah. that. It's like, they, they're, I, I like, I yeah. kind of like having it be, I mean, I just remember that when I was younger, too, watching it, it was like, these are actually skills that a, a person who is 16 would have. It's like, Yeah, and I think that was always part of the show from the beginning. Yeah. They wanted to blend Buffy's natural instincts and personal interests as a teenage girl who is traditionally feminine and likes clothes and makeup and boys and blah, blah, blah. That They always wanted to incorporate those and show them as strengths. Yeah. So it makes sense that that was part of the first scene or the first episode. Yeah, a lot of the things that are traditionally sort of looked down upon with with teenage girls, like mm-hmm. interest in fashion, it's like oh, they're so obsessed with fashion, they're not reading books. But it's like, well, her knowledge of fashion saved the fucking world. Yeah. So like, deal with it. Yeah. But then she notices, of course, this guy is talking to Willow, who Buffy had just encouraged to go out and you know seize the day and. And seize your moment or whatever. So she runs after them, uh, tries to track them down, loses track of them because the guy has convinced yeah. Willow to leave the bronze, runs into Xander and is like, where's Willow? And Xander goes like, oh, you got to go like stop her from getting slayed or something. He makes some reference. She goes, oh, my God, does everybody in this town know? Is there a school wide bulletin? And he's like very like, uh, you're crazy. You can't really be taking this stuff seriously. And she's like, no, we need to go save Willow's freaking life right now. And to his credit, he comes around on it and and believes her pretty quickly. Yeah. There's a there's you know, he kind of gives her a little bit of pushback. But then he has this moment of like, oh, my God, you're serious. Well, he he does have a good line where he says she's like, does everyone know I'm the Slayer? And he goes, well, I know you think you're the Slayer. Yeah. Which I it's a thing that always bothers me with anything supernatural in a lot of shows, people discredit the possibility if they're like, oh, no, there can't actually be ghosts because ghosts aren't real, so this person must be lying. They never take into consideration, like, well, this person clearly thinks they saw a ghost, so let's talk about what it could have been that they saw. They're like, no, it just must be a total, like, no, it doesn't exist. Mm. End. Done. Technicality. No. Down. Boo. Over. So in this, he goes like, well, you clearly think you are, and you clearly take this seriously, so I'm going to kind of go along with you and see what this is about, rather than going, ah, what a crazy girl, and leave right. So they go then after Willow, who's in the, has been taken by this guy to the cemetery. And, and he, he, like, shoves her into a crypt. Yeah, mausoleum thing. <laughs> and, which I feel like they got a lot of use out of that uh, that set. That set, I think that, like, becomes, like, I think yeah. it becomes Spike's uh, front door. Front or door, yeah, yeah. eventually. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of use there. A little paint, a few throw pillows. Call home. <laughs> so, uh, 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 Willow is being menaced by the guy, and then uh, Darla shows up. 
and has brought Jesse along, mm-hmm. who she picked up at the bronze, and he's like, oh, I think she gave me a hickey. And he's got, like, a big bite mark on mm-hmm. his neck already. Right. Uh, and then th- they're like, oh, no. And then Buffy shows up and is, like, talking. She's cracking so much sass, like, yeah. all over the place. A little too much sass. And yeah. she gets her ass handed to her as a result. Oh, two important things that we have skipped uh, so, yeah, that have we're now gonna, come into gonna, play. We're going to Tarantino this shit. Yeah. So earlier we saw several scenes that established that uh, there's a bunch of vampires underground in an old broken down church or something that's underground with a bunch of fucking candles. And they're all talking about somebody rising and a master. And then we see this like freaking Nosferatu looking guy with weirdly fitted like black leather like almost bondage like fashion bondage wear yeah the master i just want to put it out there the master was the most boring big bad of this entire show i cannot believe they thought this was going to be a great big bad for the first season i mean an old ancient nosferatu looking vampire kind of makes sense as the first villain but just from word one the actor is so He's just got this little, like, He's nerdy doing, like, voice. a weird, em- like, like, a nerdy Emperor Palpatine, where he's like, no! No, you must get food, food for me to feed. <laughs> I'm hungry. I've got long nails, and I'm spooky. But for some reason, his clothes, that's the weird thing. You'd think that if they were going for that look, his clothes would be, at least when he emerges from this, like, pit of goo for some reason, yeah. you'd think he would be in, like, old-fashioned clothes or rags or something, and then maybe they would be like, we have brought you clothes, master. Brought you the latest fashions yeah, from which the underground. It would be weird that he was still dressed as, as he was, but he comes out of the right. goo wearing, like, leather high-heeled boots and, like, but then, like, black slacks that are not the same shade of black as his fitted black jacket with, like, a big metal belt buckle in the middle. It's just, it was always a weird look. It never quite fit the kind of character that we're trying to create. Yeah, he he looks more like a, a, a like a, a Romulan, like it's again, it's like a very Star yeah, Trek like Romulan formal wear or something. Yeah, it's, it's like we have come from the high Romulan Senate thing, and, and it's like, but he's not the main Romulan yeah. who has it's, like it's, a nice costume. Yeah, he's like a background Romulan. It's, it's like a high, like a, like almost like a Nehru collar. Yeah. And like it's smooth down the front. There's no visible buttons or anything. Long sleeve. It's all black leather with no adornments or any stitching. It's just such a weird, very minimalist, very modern looking yeah. outfit that I... I've always wondered if it was a kind of thing where they were like, we really want to avoid doing too much old fashioned stuff in this vampire show, but then don't make this ancient master character your villain, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. It's, we also it's meet baffling. Yeah. In that, and in, in those scenes, which we keep cutting to Luke, his main sort of toady guy, his, 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 his major domo. Yeah. Who we never get to see out of vamp face, which that was kind of interesting. Yeah. He's always vamped out. Darla we see go back and forth. I don't think actually we don't see anybody else go back and forth. Jesse. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. But obviously we meet Jesse right. when he's still alive. All the other vampires are just all vamped uh, out all the time. No, well, Pretty Boy who takes Willow from the bronze also. We see him oh, okay. yes, in human true. face. But it, but yeah, in terms of like kind of speaking role, anybody who's a vampire, speaking role vampire, 
there's sort of a... Luke is the only one who doesn't... Yeah. He's just full vamp all the time. He's full vamp. He doesn't do any of that hanging out with humans bullshit. Yeah. He's he's committed. He's a gold star vampire. Hey. But uh, at any rate, we've also had a scene where Buffy, when she was walking to the bronze, realizes someone's following her. You're meant to think maybe it's Luke because we just saw him in the previous right. scene. But instead, it's a pretty douchebag. Smooth faced young David Boreanaz just looking so much younger than he would ever look again. Yeah. And he, in you know, is very mysterious. We don't find out anything about him in this first scene. We don't know who he is except that he knows she's the Slayer. He was expecting her. Uh, he knows about the vampires. He knows more about the vampires than Giles does because he knows about the Harvest yeah. and the Hellmouth, uh, which Giles is just, just figuring some of this stuff out. When... Buffy sees Giles at the bronze. She goes, oh, I met your friend. He told me all about the harvest. And Giles is like, what? The harvest? Who? What friend? I don't have friends. You know. Uh, but in that scene where she meets Angel for the first mm-hmm. time, he gives her a gift, a box. And she opens it later and it's this big silver cross necklace, yeah. which she ends up wearing throughout the show, I think. At least initially. Fun point about that. I read the script for the pilot at one point, uh-huh. And in that scene... It's described in the notes as he gives her a small gold cross that looks like an antique. Like, they could not have gone farther in the other direction. It's at least three inches tall, yeah. made of, like, sterling silver, silver. Sterling silver, very wide, very minimalist, just a cross, nothing yeah. fancy. Like, just two lines. I'm like, wow, they really went hard in the other direction. I get why they did. It's a much more iconic and visible thing. It's more likely that Buffy would wear it, being kind of like a modern teen. Right. Uh, And it's bigger, so it's going to make more of an impact when a a vampire... It's going to be easier for a vampire to accidentally touch this ginormous hunk of metal than a teeny tiny cross. So I get why they did it, but it's just funny that literally every adjective they used to describe it in the script is the opposite right (laughs) anyway so she doesn't know who he is but when she tries to save the kids in the mausoleum from Mm -hmm. darla and luke uh they all get away but she ends up luke is too strong for her she's not really ready for him as we learn buffy is not ready buffy's not prepared she doesn't know things she hasn't trained enough this is an overarching theme of the whole show yeah, so Luke gets a drop on her. He yeah. manages to sneak up behind her and, yeah. and throws so. her into the 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 coffin. The crypt uh, is about to actually get her, bite her, and then he touches the cross and like apparently that hurts enough that he just like yeah completely fucks off and so, she runs away. Yeah, so Buffy gets finds Willow and Xander and they can't find Jesse because he's disappeared. Yeah, they've been attacked by the other vampires right. while they were running through. So she manages to rescue the two of them, but Jesse is nowhere to be seen. So then we uh, cut to the next day. Yeah. It's the next Which day. Which this is now the, when uh, Luke was about to get Buffy and bite her, that's the to be continued at the beginning, right. uh, at the end of the first episode. So her getting out and saving Willow and Xander is all the kind of the cold open of the second episode. So we go to the next day, they're talking to Giles, and Giles is basically breaking it all down for Willow and Xander and explaining 
what the whole situation is. Yep, vampires are real. It sucks. Also, yeah. the apocalypse is coming. Um, and I believe we have seen her dust a vampire. Oh, yeah. she gets a couple of them in the mausoleum while yeah. the other people are seeing it. Which, I gotta say, I still think that is such an elegant solution to the problem of... I've, at least oh. I've always heard, it, I don't know, it might be apocryphal, but the story is the reason they came up with the idea of, of the vampires turning to dust when you stake them, which was not the case in the film, right. and is not standard uh, in vampire mythology, uh-huh. they usually turn to dust when sunlight hits them. Right. They're not supposed to turn to dust when you stake them through the heart. So I, what I've always heard is that that was a solution to the problem of them having just like bodies lying everywhere during while they're shooting a scene or something. If, if oh. Buffy's like gets a bunch of vampires, then, like, in the next scene that they shoot, or the next, you know, camera angle they get, they're do- they don't need to pay those people to be still lying on the ground. Right. They don't have to pay for them to be made up and lying there and everything. So just dusting them means then they're gone. We don't have right. to worry about it. That's what I've at least always heard. And I think that's such a good solution. I mean, it also does solve a lot of the, you know, how do you not start to suspect this girl when there's, like, dead people showing up all the time yeah if she's if she's killing a bunch of people eventually someone would put that together yeah but if there's nobody yeah so uh then willow and xander more or less get on board although yeah. they're still kind of like what how do and they want to help yeah so uh pretty quickly it's established that you know buffy's like no no, no. i'm the slayer i do the slaying you guys do not and they Will- figure out pretty quickly that Willow is better able to help by helping Giles do research. Specifically, computer research on that infernal machine. Yes, this dread machine. He says, perhaps you can wrest some information from that dread machine. And they all look at him and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, was that a bit British? Tell me, Buffy, how British am I? I know it's a bit off topic, Willow, but how British am I? You're a cup of bovril on a rainy night. <laughs> You made me so happy. Uh, apologize to anyone. Apologies to anyone who has not listened to Super Ego. But also, what are you doing with your life? Moving on. Buffy so, then says she's got to go save Jesse. And since they... I think they heard something about him being... So... A, 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 a sacrifice. Right. So they, they, they put it together through the stuff Angel has been saying and etc. That... There, the, there's some something is being sacrificed. That they're yeah. bringing offerings. Yes, they refer yes. to them they as refer offerings. They refer to them as offerings. So Buffy's like, he might still be alive, and da da da. So Buffy's like, I'm gonna go save him. Willow, Giles, do the research, and Xander ends up feeling really left out. It's it's a little heavy handed. She says like, No, you would get hurt, and he goes, Oh, I get it. I'm inadequate. I'm not man enough. But it's not really played as a joke. He says it very right. seriously, which I do feel like there are certain lines in the show that were written as jokes. And then whoever directed the episode maybe didn't realize. Yeah. And Joss Whedon seems to have this problem. You know, the same thing that happens to anything else. The infamous line from X-Men oh. that was delivered seriously. When it the was the, to be a the joke. one of three lines of his that were kept and when everything else was rewritten. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like there's another scene in that episode where... No, right after Buffy leaves, yeah. uh, Willow and Xander are talking about, like, you know, no, we should stay here. We're not, we don't know how to fight vampires. Like, let her do her thing. We can, we could 
do best by staying here and helping from here. And she's like, I can help with research. And Xander's like, I don't have anything. And then there's the scene ends very awkwardly with like, she says like, I believe that she can handle this. And Sandra goes, well, so can I. And Willow goes, yeah, so can I. And it's just, the scene is over. And it feels so awkward. And I feel like with possibly with different delivery that could play as like yeah. a funny, like, yes, me too. But they don't look convinced. Right. Instead, they just look convinced. And it's like a very awkward, r- repetitive scene. I, I feel like there are a couple of moments there where it might have been the director or the editors not right. knowing to do, what to do with the Whedon humor. This is the, the humor stuff aside though. It was really fascinating to me that this conflict for Xander is present in the very first. Oh yeah. Story. That is a good point. Because like a lot of the, his arc as a character through the whole show is being the, the, the fifth wheel, the, there's even an episode all about him having this issue called the The Zeppo. Zeppo. Yep. Which uh, I just want to I want to clarify this uh, in that episode they're like the Zeppo is named after the Marx brother who didn't make sense why he was there because you had Groucho Harpo and Chico and they were all various kinds of clowns and funny and whatever yeah. and then there was the fourth Marx brother Zeppo Marx and it was like the fuck is this guy doing here yeah he's not that funny yeah he was the sex appeal the time and place in which those movies were made, he was the sexy one. He was the heartthrob. The point of him being there was so that there was something for the ladies, which was Aww. shocking to me when I finally learned it I later did not in know life. that. Yeah. Did you hear that, Nicholas Brendan? <laughs> You're the sex appeal. It's good. I gotta say, the thing that annoyed me the most about the Zeppo is that Cordelia is the one who calls him the Zeppo. I'm sorry, Cordelia Chase... Has not only seen enough Marx Brothers films to know not only who Zeppo is, but also what his sort of role is as other people process this information. Yeah. Like his cultural role that people talk about. And she would reference it like, of course, you, my fellow teen, will know that this cutting insult is uh, what this cutting insult is, that you're the Zeppo. Sorry, I had to get that out of my system. Anyway, that is a really good point, though, that it was present from the get-go that this is going to be Xander's thing, that he does not actually have a function. Buffy is a slayer. Giles is the watcher. Willow has computer knowledge and, and, you know, can, like, help with research and stuff. She at least can be helping Giles. And she's really intelligent. Yeah, she's really smart. Xander is just there. Which... As a uh, uh, thing, like, you know, I mean, I feel like this is the antithesis of the the uh, the young male hero in a lot of other fantasy and whatever fiction where it's mm-hmm. just like he's there and then he learns some stuff and he ends up being better at being yeah. a blue cat person on another planet than the blue cat people on another planet uh, or whatever. It, it also, I, I've honestly never thought about this until this very moment, but... It's a switch of the team of heroes and then there's one girl whose job it is to stand around and go, oh no, and get captured. Yeah. Like, that's Xander. Yeah. The team, aside from Giles, is mostly Willow and Buffy and sometimes Cordelia is part of the team. And like, Xander is the one who usually gets into trouble, who usually gets seduced by a demon lady or captured by a monster and has to be rescued. Yeah. I, I feel foolish that I've never put that together before. It's, yeah, it's, it's delightful. Yeah. 
That's... But but then watching his, you know, I mm-hmm. I know I'm kind of fixated on this, but it it's just like this rewatch of the pilot, it hit me the hardest that like where he starts from and where he ends up at the end of season seven mm-hmm. is phenomenal for a, a character arc mm-hmm. because he finds that his utility is being a good friend. Yeah. Yeah, this is none of this is to say that we are dissing on Xander. I love Xander. Yeah. This is just this is how the show handles his character. That yeah. he he has this complex about not being helpful enough and not having any particular skills. But yeah. And that's I mean, as it comes to a head later on, him being a friend is his superpower because it's what saves Willow when she yeah. goes dark. You know, that's so it's definitely not it's it's so you're right. It is interesting to see that's his power from the beginning. It doesn't necessarily help a lot in that first, this first little arc. But his reason for following Buffy, which he follows Buffy and eventually, you know, she ends up in tracking down the vampires and he's there. The reason he has to go is because Jesse's my bud. Yeah. Not Jesse's my best friend or my oldest friend or we've been through a lot together. He's my bud. I have to. Bud had a lot more weight in the 90s, I guess. I don't really remember that, but sure. Uh, so Willow's off doing research for Giles and we get a nice little scene. Willow's in the computer lab in computer programming class, which mm-hmm. all students took in 1997. That seemed like a very advanced class. I never, yeah. I never talked about, I never had to design a computer program and, um, Blondie Girl. Harmony. Harmony. That's right. I couldn't remember her name. Harmony. They're like, oh, this actress's name is Charisma? That's cool. Can we name another character Charisma? No, I'd be too on the nose. Oh, I like that idea, though. What else can I name? Harmony. Harmony. But yeah, Harmony, I love, is there, who becomes... She's just in one scene. Yeah. She has just a few lines. I was like, I don't even think she's credited as Harmony in the credits for the episode. Like, mm. I'm, I, uh, Yeah, I don't think... She, she's not referred to by name, certainly. I think she just ended up getting to come back because she yeah. had a good charismatic presence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow, good job dropping in that sound effect, strangely. You definitely don't happen to be sitting right next to a drum kit because we're in my room. <laughs> anyway, um, amazing that she shows up, not in the first episode, but in the mm-hmm. second half, uh, you know, in the second yeah. episode, second half of the first story. Um, not only does she be, end up becoming more of a character throughout Buffy, she also gets to come back and be a character in Angel. Yeah. She ends up being kind of significant in Angel. I, I kind of love her in Angel, actually. Angel has a lot of problems, the character and the show, but I kind of love Harmony. She's yeah. so bad at being a vampire. Boy, I hope nobody's listening to this who's never seen Buffy. <laughs> this would be a weird choice, but... <laughs> like, wait... David Boreanaz is a vampire? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, David Boreanaz does show up. Uh, yeah. Angel does show up. Uh, while Buffy, they do a bunch of stuff where they look at some old layouts of the city and they find out, because they're trying to figure out how did they get away and where right. did they go to? Where is their meeting place? And they figure out... They're down in the sewers. The mausoleum is the entrance point and it gets them down into the sewers and that's what connects them to, which they don't find it out yet, but... It connects them to this old church that's underground because of a... It's, they mentioned there was a big uh, earthquake. earthquake that trapped the master down there like back in the 30s. 
I love sure. that you said there was a big, uh, you're just waving your hand back and forth like, ah, oh, yes, earthquake. <laughs> Look, we've been friends long enough that when I just wave my hands around, you understand that I mean earthquake. So, but Angel oh. shows up. He doesn't do anything. He's just there to see Buffy. Yeah, he's like, I won't go down there. I'm afraid. Yeah, he says like, oh, they don't like me dropping in. Why not? Because they don't like me. Yeah. But then he, she's like, well, then why don't you go down there with me? And he goes, I'm afraid. And it's 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 interesting, it's kind of refreshing. He's not there to help her particularly, or certainly not to save her. Right. He's just there to look at her because he's got a weird boner for this teenager. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I, yeah. I mean, I. I mean, I, why, how else do you interpret him showing up there in that scene? I don't know. He feels so superfluous. Yeah. It's just kind of like he's going to be a regular later. We'll get to him. Yeah. It is interesting that uh, I don't remember how long it took them to establish he was a vampire. But we do not find that out in this first arc. No. In his first two episodes. He doesn't show up very much. And nobody meets him except for Buffy. He doesn't do much. He's no. just sort of... Like, oh, I'm this mysterious guy. We don't find out his name until this scene where yeah. uh, she asks his name and he says Angel. And she's completely unfazed by the fact that Angel is a very uncommon name for a man in America. Yeah, she's just kind of like, that's pretty <laughs> she's name. She's like, oh, pretty name. Oh, well, anyway, I'm going to go break through this door and go in some sewers. <sighs> See ya. He does then, as she's walking away, say, hey, when you get to the sewers, hang a left or whatever. Yeah. Uh, get to the tunnels, hang a left, go east towards the high school or something like that. He does give her some useful information. And she says something like, are you going to wish me luck? And he just stares at her. And she walks away like, whatever. And then he goes, good luck. <laughs> he just whispers it. It's a little bit creepy. <laughs> Not sure exactly what they were going for with I, his character. I feel like they were going for it. There was a, there was a character trope in the like ni- in 90s high school movies of like, the beautiful weirdo who was like kind of creepy. The loners. Yeah. Mysterious. Like the, the kid who films the plastic bag in American beauty or whatever. It's just like that guy who's like, he's kind of hot, but like, he's sort of like serial killer vibes, you know, like that guy. And it was like, they were, they were going for that because they're like, Oh, people will like this or something. I really wish that I could have seen this first episode without knowing everything about the show already. I already know right. who Angel was when right. I finally got to the show. Do you remember? Did you ever see the pilot when you first watched the show? Presumably not. You probably just caught bits and pieces on well, as it yeah. aired, yeah? I caught bits and pieces. So by the time I sat down and was like, I have the DVDs, I'm no. doing this. I was like 15, I think 16 by the time you, I was like this. By the time you watched the show, probably the first time you saw Angel, he was a, a vampire already. The show knew he was yeah, a vampire. Yeah, I just, I'm really curious to try to imagine. Imagine this show only ran for a couple of, one or two seasons. It was not that well remembered. And you and I are doing it as a pilot house classic. Yeah. And neither of us have ever watched a single episode. Do you think, what would we have thought? What would we have guessed was Angel's deal? Would we have guessed he was a vampire? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's just interesting to imagine. He feels so superfluous. Yeah. In this episode, like the information that she's getting from him, she could just as easily have overheard during a fight 
or you know overheard some vampires talking or something like it doesn't need to be delivered hand delivered to her by an mysterious stranger the really the most uh important thing that she that he does in the plot is give her the cross right which again anyone anyone could have given her a cross yeah mom could have been like i found your grandma's old cross and you know (laughs) That would have been, a, a, I think, a stronger connection between two characters than is established by Angel giving her the... Yeah, but he just needs to be this mysterious, helpful stranger I'm, who's also hot. Right. I'm sorry. I should probably just cards on table. I'm Team Spike. Oh, oh my God. 1,000%. Yeah. I can't, I'm glad that we got this out of the way. Yeah. So I just like... I, Angel's garbage, really. I mean, I'm, he's a bad boyfriend. I'm not going to spend any time trying to like side with him i often no. will try to side with character but like i'm just not i just don't yeah no team spike 100 percent all yeah. the way good just, thank yeah, you absolutely please at me yeah please at both of us and tell us about how great spike is yeah because i've never met someone who is team angel i've met people Ugh. who are kind of like oh angel's not that bad i've met people who aren't as strongly team spike but i've never met anybody who when it came down to it I've, heard, I've I've met people who are like, no, they're both garbage, which is fair. Uh. Although anything people point out is like, well, Spike did this. I'm like, this is not nearly as bad as anything that Angel ever did. Uh, anyway. <sighs> Tragic that we don't get to see Spike in this first episode. He's the best part of the show all the time. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> Where were we? Uh, so Buffy goes down in the sewers, all Scooby-Doo. Xander yeah. shows up. He's been following her. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, I thought... Also, Angel being a vampire, did did he, f- <laughs> did he, like, just hang out in the crypt? And if so, did Xander then walk past him to follow yeah, Buffy? Yeah, I know. He, Xander immediately catches up with Buffy. Yeah. And, and says, I followed you. But, like, did he hang out outside the crypt until he saw Angel leave? But how would Angel leave? It's daytime. He must have gone down into the the tunnels and just gone a different direction to go somewhere else. Because then then it would preserve the idea that no one else has seen Angel. Right. Although it would be weird if he was trying to follow her that he would wait that long to go into the mausoleum. He could have heard voices and been like, oh, no. Yeah. She better not go in. But then he'd so worry a, it was a vampire. It's, it's a weird detail to get hung up he, on. He, get, he he immediately catches up with yeah. her. Angel's superfluous. You could cut his scenes out of the episode and it would still pretty much work. Yeah. Maybe they were going for like a whole like Buffy is imagining this guy kind of thing. Like like he's a he's a spirit who he's like his name is Angel, but he's actually a demon. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, you're right. He's ridiculous. If they had intended him to be like, maybe he's, she's imagining him or maybe he's, he's an actual angel and no one else can see him. I think they would have leaned on it a little harder. Yeah. There would have been a scene where she was talking to him and someone else showed up and she goes, this guy, he's gone. They would have done one of those. I think if they wanted to really lean on that. And I don't think, I don't remember them doing that, but it's been a long time. So Buffy and Xander kind of scooby-doo around the sewers for a while and then they, they find jesse and he's being he's vampires like around him no no he's lo- just lying oh, on the ground right. and they're like oh no jesse and he's like ah oh thank god you guys i'm like not okay 
and he's chained. Right. Buffy breaks his chains. That's right. And then they see vampires and go, we better run. And Jesse's like, go this way. This is the way they brought me in or whatever. Right. Um, but they, and they established in the previous scene where Luke said like, ah, you were going to be a meal, but now you've been upgraded to bait. I gotta say, I do kind of appreciate how they managed to make the talking around a mouthful of fake teeth sound like a spooky demon voice on this mm-hmm. show. Uh, some of the actors didn't nail it as well as others. Some right. people just sound like they're trying, they're trying to talk around fake teeth. But like people like the actor playing Luke. Yeah. He manages to make it sound like this very scary. I am a demon. <laughs> it, I gotta say that, that it, they, I think they did that pretty well. Yeah. So the vampires chase them through the sewers oh, and then they get vampires. cornered. There's one shot where they look, oh no, vampires down this corridor and you see the vampire actors. And then they look, what about this corridor? And all you see are shapes in the darkness and reflective bits that look like kind of like eyes. Yeah. And I'm 90% sure those were cardboard cutouts that someone was jostling from behind that had some kind of reflective tape in the shape of eyes. Because they're just, they're moving yeah. like this. Like, sorry, I'm like kind of shaking back and forth. Like one of those animated Halloween decorations that's like, come to me. Wait, wait. I will get you. Sarah, how are they moving? How they're are kinda, they? They're, the vampires are kind of going like this. The, the, the cardboard vampires You just are see of... these these reflective lights kind of moving. I just, I yeah. I think they were cardboard cutouts to someone. Some production assistant was kind of jostling. Because they didn't have enough actors to do the shot and have the more vampires on the other side. Anyway. Perfect. I will. I if if you want to know exactly what Sarah was doing, we've got video for Instagram. Yeah. Then Jesse goes this way, and he leads them into like a dead end, and they're like, "Oh no, it's a dead end. What do we do?" And they turn around, and Jesse goes, "You die," or something nah. like that, and he's vamped out. And they're like, "Oh no, Jesse, not you!" And Buffy manages to fling him out of the room and shut the door, which she needs Xander's help with. Yeah, she's with. like trying to show that they're like, eh, she's, eh. she's pushing it and it's stuck. It yeah. clearly seems like it's not just heavy, but actually stuck. And she looks at Xander and goes, help me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. He is not an especially strong human. Yeah. She is superhuman. I do not believe that whatever effort he could add to it would make a, an appreciable difference to her. Yeah. But I feel like they wanted to give Xander a moment where he was, like, kind of useful. Maybe she did that on purpose. Right, but it didn't feel that way, right? It just felt like she's like, come on, help me, I need this. She didn't... The the vampires were a couple of feet away, and they're walking like zombies very slowly for no reason. I'm sorry, it's it's now my headcanon that, like, for the rest of their friendship, Buffy, like, is like, ah, I can't open this jar, Xander, can you? And then he's like, ah. Like, you know, she just does little things to make him yeah. feel, make him feel strong. Oh, no. Oh, I can't reach this eye shelf, Xander. <laughs> anyway, uh, they managed to shut the door. All the vampires on the other side. They climb out of sewer grate. a grate or a vent or something. And then despite the fact that the vampires are immediately right behind them, they, they managed to, you know, and they're crawling through like a, a vent or something, right? Yeah. The vampires are right behind them with the, the super speed. Yeah. And the, the super, well, not super speed, but they're definitely stronger and more agile. Right. It's been established later in the show that becoming a vampire immediately gives you, like, you know, Matrix level kung fu. You just wake up a vampire and go, oh, I know kung fu. 
Like, you just know how to fight immediately. Right. So, despite the fact that they're right behind them, and Xander is in front, they manage to get to a place where they can actually, like, open a manhole cover to the light of day. Yeah. And... There's an amazing bit. Xander gets out. He helps pull Buffy out. And her leg is grabbed by one spooky-looking vampire hand. And she goes, pull me. And he pulls her up just far enough that the vampire hand gets hit by the daylight. And, oh, just, hey, if you're listening, person who was the hand actor for that scene, I've never seen someone get that dramatic with a single hand. Well done. That's the episode of I Was There Too that I want. Oh my God. Uh, Matt Gorley, that needs to happen. It does oh need to happen. Oh my God. Find the guy who did the hand. Because this guy, you know, the, the sun hits the hand. The hand lets go of Buffy and very dramatically like. Ah. No. And then, and then, uh, oh God, I, I need to, hold on, do, do another video twists dramatically I... as it pulls down How, the... what what does the hand do sarah wait hang the, on the sunlight hits the vampire hand and it goes ah, very dramatically like the pain and then goes like this oh, back down into the sewer the drama of that hand gesture of like no my pain oh my god it's so beautifully over the top i love it so after their narrow escape, Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Giles, they all gather back at the library, which I love that that was established immediately as like their hangout zone, the yeah. place where they like plan the missions yeah. and stuff. Basically nobody else ever goes into this library. Yeah. It's a way spookier library than any high school has ever had with like very old fashioned, you know, chairs and little reading lamps. It looks a lot more like a university library uh, yeah. in England. I like to imagine that it looked like a perfectly normal California high school library. And then Giles showed up as the new teacher and went, oh, no, 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 they simply won't do. <laughs> and completely redecorated. Yeah. Which, you know, given the amount of funding that the Watchers Council has access to, I mean, totally really, possible. Really? Uh, they have fun to... fact about me oh. personally. <laughs> I jumped through a bunch of hoops to be allowed to be the librarian's assistant at my high school my senior year just because of how much I loved Buffy. Oh my so, god. There's that. That's so cute. Yep. Look at you. So they all figure out that... This... They, they deliver the bad news that yeah. Jesse has been vamped and he cannot be saved. They were too late. And the vampires are planning some big vampire harvest. Mm -hmm. See, this all ties in with October. This yeah. is our October theme yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all the vampires are going to put pumpkins on their heads and dance around Chris Isaac. Right. That was an over-the-garden wall reference. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I know. Oh, you look like you're like, the fuck are you talking about, Sarah? What so they, uh, <laughs> it's time for the festival. Uh, you don't look like you're ready to join us yet. <laughs> oh, too bad we've seen all of that. We can't... It, not that it had a pilot. It was a miniseries. Anyway, moving on. They pretty quickly figure out that the vampires are going to have... They're going to go to the bronze yeah. and attack it's, the bronze. Yeah, it's the obvious place. There'll be a lot of people there, young people. Uh, it'll be easy to trap them in. Yeah. You know, they kind of go, it's got to be the bronze. Buffy just says that. It's the bronze, trust me. We don't have enough run time in this episode for me to explain why. Just go with me. So they, uh, they're they like, all right, let's go do this. And the, yeah. the, the gang is heading out. And then Buffy's like, 
I got to go pick up some stuff at home. Supplies, yeah. yeah. Which, honestly, I was like, good, I'm glad they mentioned that. Because throughout the run of this show, people are just caught without a stake so often. You, just, you lived on the Hellmouth. You should just have more than one stake on you at all times, to be honest. Yeah. So she goes home to get more supplies. Her mom catches her and grounds her. Yeah, because the principal called and yeah, you know, said, you missed some classes. Yeah. It's all happening again. No, I need to learn to say no. You can stay up here and sulk if you want, but if you'd like to come downstairs, I'll make dinner. You know. But Buffy immediately is like, fuck this noise. Grabs a bunch of steaks and holy water and whatever else, throws it in a duffel bag. Then just jumps right out her bedroom window. Climbs right down the roof. Not even in a I'm the slayer and I can jump a long way way. No, she just slides down the roof in a perfectly normal teenager escaping from their room way that her mom surely would have been aware was a possibility. And also she like throws the bag onto the roof. Like where's Joyce? Is is Joyce hard of hearing? That would explain a lot, but. (laughs) So she escapes. Hard of hearing. Has like a really really bad uh, uh, gl- glaucoma. She can only see a tiny pinhole. Yeah, bad. Per- no peripheral vision. Yeah, no peripheral she vision. She misses a lot. No sense of smell. Ugh. Joyce. Sorry, I just had to have a moment for Joyce. Um, Hashtag TV mom. Oh, she's great. So then Buffy meets up with the group at the bronze, but the vampires are already inside. They've already locked the doors. They've already trapped everyone inside. Uh, and they're, they're trapped on the outside. So, and she goes, sorry, I didn't know I was going to get grounded. She sends the rest of the Scoobies around the back to, she says, all you guys are going to do is open the door and get people out. I'll do all the vamp fighting, you know, don't get involved. So then she manages to break through the front door. No, she She climbs in through like a window by the roof or something. Yeah. It's, uh, I love the drama of the fact that when they first enter the club, Luke sends one of his minions up to the rafters to work the spotlight. Yeah. For his moment. So when he first walks up on the stage, he can be in darkness and then the spotlight hits him with his vamp face and people are like, oh my God, he's ugly. He's like, like, you are all the subjects of the master who will rise from the things of Yeah. But like, I just love it. Like, how extra is Luke that he said, one of my minions, your entire job is to go work that spotlight, friend. Like, (laughs) gotta do my big entrance. So Buffy fights the vampires. Oh, Cordelia ends up dancing with uh, Jesse. Yep. Who's cool now and sexy because he's a vampire. He, he nags her super He nags her and she goes like, well, okay, I guess I'll dance with you because he told yeah. me to shut up. And yeah. you're wearing a black form-fitting t-shirt now instead of a really ugly sweater that you were wearing earlier. Oh, he's been puppy-dogging her the whole episode, yeah. you yeah. know, or the whole thing. So, so the Buffy fights the vampire. Yeah, it's... the vampire starts his feasting with the, uh, the big buff. Which is Bouncer? for Which all I, a lot of the tropes that are not uh, embraced by the show for a lot of the reversals and, and sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, oppositings of a lot of tropes that happen in this. I didn't think about it, you know, when I watched this years ago, but watching it again, like now that this trope has been pointed out to me, I'm like, oh, my God. So like the the it's such a thing in like horror movies and and like stuff like that where the, the 
there'll be like a large muscular black man and then he'll be the first one to ha- to get um killed by like oh. the predator or the sure. alien or whatever um because it's like you know it's and he's always like it's just like some guy that like is like big muscly like bodybuilder black dude and it's always like that's the first guy to die and so you're like oh well, we better take this monster serious cuz the mo- like and it's just like they it's, killed the tough guy yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's a good point. I was thinking about it as a reversal of a trope of who shall be the first sacrifice. And they, you think they would go Cordelia. She's oh, yeah. young and beautiful. Let's start with her. But instead they were like, ah, you're strong and have much blood in you. That yeah. makes way more sense because we skip this because the master is supremely uninteresting. But there's a whole scene where he marks Luke as his vessel. The master's trapped. In some sort of invisible force field. Yeah, there's an invisible force field, which I actually thought the effect still looked pretty good for how old it is. He he reaches out and there's like a, oh, it looks like he's touching jello or whatever. It's like there's a warbly sort of thing in the air. Draws a symbol on Luke's forehead and he's like, when you feed, I feed. So like if everything you everything you eat, all the the energy that you take will come to me and will give me the energy to break free of this so that I may feed myself. So I like, I actually like that he goes for like a big strong guy first. Yeah. That's a really good point that it was subverting one trope, but also playing into another. Right. You could have had a a big, strong white guy. That's true. Um, It's just, it's, it's a fascinating trope because it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of plays into these ideas of like, you know, um, African-American men being like primal or or tougher or something like that. I, I. I don't want to say, oh, this wasn't that, but I do feel like that wasn't what they were. They weren't at least uh, going for that. Like, oh, we need him to eat somebody really strong so everyone is extra scared. Right. Because prior to that, they're going, oh, something young, something fresh. Right. They're excited about, they try to, you know, get Willow and Jesse and stuff like that. Um, Someone with pure blood or whatever Mm -hmm. that means. So I just think it merits comment in yeah. a show that is really working that in a show that is working overtime to overcome a lot of other stereotypes like yeah. the the blonde you know hot blonde girl being the first one to die in the horror movies mm-hmm. and in this the two hot blonde girls are the monster and the, the hero badass invincible yeah. hero yeah no I mean that's I I would. I feel like this is an example of them accidentally walking into yeah. a trope. I mean, maybe they just hired that guy because they knew him and he's a good good dude and he shows up on time, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. reasons to cast someone and work with someone and everything yeah. like that. At any rate, uh, he's going through this thing. He's eating people left and right. He's about to go for Cordelia. And that's when we know... He's already, he already eats two people. It could have started with him going for Cordelia and Buffy could have immediately launched in. Right. But... And it's kind of one of the things about this show. People do actually die. Yeah. Buffy can't save everyone. So there's, he eats at least two people and you see the master going, yes. And like reaching out to yeah. the, to the force field and going almost, almost. Yeah. The force field is not changing at all, but apparently he can, he can feel, feel it. it yeah. It's getting weaker. Cause he goes almost free. Um, almost free. <laughs> <laughs> he's like freaking Skeletor. Yeah. He's like Skeletor and Nosferatu. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Buffy comes in and uh, ruins his good times yeah. by 
you know, wrecks all his dudes. Wrecks all of his dudes with a pool cue, and then starts fighting him, and he almost gets her, but then she headbutts him. And meanwhile, the Scoobies are starting to get people out. Yeah. But then, uh, Jesse mm-hmm. shows up, and Xander has a stake, but he tries to do the. Don't do this, man. I it's know me. there's. Remember me. I know there's still good left in yeah. you. Uh, I know there's some of you still in there, even though Giles warned them ahead of time. He's like, remember, when you see Jesse, he is dead. That is not Jesse. What you are seeing is the thing that killed him. Which, kind of not true in the mythology of the show as it goes on. Because it's not not him. It's him with no soul. As established by... I feel like sometimes they refer to them as demons, though. It's a little inconsistent because... Angel is able to become, if not himself, arguably a better person than he was as a living person. Yeah. With, when he gets his soul back. Right. And same thing for Spike. He's better than he was, but not evil. It's it's unclear how much of it is a demon and how much of it is right. still... They still have all their memories and everything, right? So anyway... They have to, it's something that you have to tell people, though, I, I think is what right. they, it's what they believe. Giles doesn't know everything, but it's right. also, it seems to be a little bit of, you have to think of it that way. Because right. at that time, I don't think they knew about the possibility of vampires being able to get their souls back. Right. Um, which doesn't cure them of being a vampire, but makes them less evil. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Anyway, uh, they say you've got it. You know, he, you be, you're looking at the thing that killed him. You can't hesitate. But, of course, Xander does because he's a good boy. And he tries to talk reason with Jesse. And Jesse's like, dude, I used to be a total nerd who couldn't get a date. Now I'm amazing. I'm a better man or whatever. Yeah. And Xander, I love it. Xander does not stake him actively. He doesn't go, okay, I guess you're evil. Because, like, he couldn't do it. Yeah. He would not be able to stake his best bud, you know. But some random girl running away. Yeah, they're grappling and the stake is pointed the right way. Yeah, it's pointed at him. And Jesse's like, sure, whatever. Like, you're going to stake me. You can't do it. You're not strong enough or you can't handle it. Whatever. And then some random girl just, like, body checks him on accident and just pushes him into the stake. And he immediately dusts. And Xander's just like, oh. That happened. You you don't get a a lot of time for him to be upset, or yeah. he, you don't get a lot of reaction from him on that. But it, I, I think it's nice. We dealt with Jesse, but without Xander having to have made that decision to kill his friend. Yeah, he kind of gets to not have to grapple with that particular right. moral right. issue uh, at that at that juncture while he's dealing with vampires being real and everything else. Uh, and then she just, uh, oh, she pulls a very Buffy trick where she says, you forgot about one thing and throws a, uh, 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 oh, oh, it's actually, drum kit. so, so, so earlier in the fight, Buffy kills a vampire who's attacking Xander by throwing the crash symbol at him and it beheads him. Yeah. <laughs> Which you do not see. This is the second violent act that is uh you only know about because someone makes a pun. Right. This is it happens twice. Something really grisly happens and they do not show it, but someone who witnessed it makes a pun. The someone fails the master, one of the vampires fails the master earlier and he goes, "You failed me. Say you're sorry." And he says, "I'm sorry." And he goes, 
oh, okay, thank you. And it's just one more thing. And then he just shoves his, you know, creepy nail forward. You hear a yeah. squelching noise and he goes, you have something in your eye. <laughs> but it's completely, right. you don't even see the guy from the back. You don't even see him fall right. backwards Nothing. or anything. Yeah. He, you just, it's entirely off camera. Yeah. Same thing here. She throws, a, a vampire is grabbing Xander. She throws a symbol like a freaking mm-hmm. Frisbee. You hear like a squelch noise yeah. and Xander goes, heads up. So then, not even a good pun. I'm not letting this go yet. It's not even a good pun, and also he's not about the jokes. He's the Zeppo. Well, it's here's the thing. He's an innocent baby still. Yeah. Do you think that that innocent baby, seeing his first beheading, would react by making a pun? Mm, no. No. So then she—that's the stand that the that the symbol. Oh yeah, was she's on. holding the metal stand. She holds it up and Luke goes, oh, you forgotten metal cannot harm me. And, like, and you forgot about something. And she throws it through the window behind him. Light floods down and she goes, sunrise. And he goes, no, and starts holding up his hands and then kind of holds his hands down like, wait, what? And it's just a light, yeah. a street light that's immediately outside the window. He turns around and she goes, she stakes him and says, it's in about nine hours, which I remember when I first watched that going, it's sunrise already? Yeah. What time did they arrive at this club? Uh, but yeah, she's like, it's in about nine hours, you dummy. Like, that was obviously a fake out. But she gets uh, Luke, which uh, we see then the master being like yeah. pushed back kind of. No. Going, no. Then falls to his knees. It really, he was right up against the force field. And then he falls to his knees and falls forward. But apparently he's still on the other side of the force field. Yeah. Anyway, that force field's a bit wibbly-wobbly, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Anyway, it's clear that he has not been robbed of whatever strength right. Luke was giving him. Or at least he's been cut off. But he's still there. He's still there. He's still fucking there and will be for so long. Twelve episodes. So then... Uh, Buffy yeah, and Giles and Xander kind of get out of the bronze and they're like, so we defeated them. Man, yeah. The this is going to be like, the world wow. has changed. Everything's different N- now. Nothing will ever be the same. Smash cut to the next morning at school. And Cordelia is telling someone else like, oh, I heard it was rival gangs fighting for territory. Like, oh my God, I don't remember that much, but it was like really intense. And this other girl's like, I wish I'd been there. And Cordelia's like, oh, you should have been. It was crazy. And like... You know, then they overhear that and go like, what the, how, hi, do they really not remember? And Giles says, well, most people forget what they can't, you know, justify what they can and forget the rest, right. you know? And they're like, well, I'll never forget. Oh, life is different for us now. We will yeah. remember what happened. And we are the Scooby gang now. It's established because they dress Sarah Michelle Geller just like Daphne. And so Foreshadowing. Then, right. <laughs> Uh, and so then, uh, just being uh, psychic, he knew that eventually they'd make a Scooby Doo movie where she would play Daphne. Right, so right. Oh, that's the whole reason they called them the Scoobies. This is this is known on the internet. Yeah, it is well known. established. So then the the uh, Buffy, Xander, and Willow kind of walk off talking and yeah. like, happy friends. Mm-hmm. And Giles is like, Ugh. well, they start goofing around yeah. about like I'm more worried about passing this yeah. class or whatever like oh do you think i could do thing and they're just like being teenagers and giles watches them walk away being teenagers and goes oh, the world is doomed <laughs> because teenagers yeah and that's the show let's move on to our uh, first segment where did the money go i think a 
uh, standing sets. Yeah. This show, we know because we've watched the rest that the bronze and the library are two very significant sets, which are very elaborate and would have cost a lot of money to put together. Uh, Pretty. Oh, oh, and the master's uh, hideout. Yes. This big underground church thing. So that those three sets were not cheap. Gotta say, Joss Whedon got a thing for like balconies in large rooms like overlooking because mm, mm-hmm. the bronze is remarkably similar to the uh the the cargo hold and firefly i was just thinking that yeah yeah i'd never noticed it before but as soon as you said balconies i immediately pictured yeah. the cargo hold with the serenity that's funny but yeah those three big sets mm-hmm. and all of the fight scenes and the vampire effects yeah. yeah that's that's the answer that's the one yep that's why they kept some of the more gory stuff off screen. Well, also, they probably didn't want to push the envelope too much in the first yeah. episode. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's a pretty easy answer. So that's where the money goes. That is where the money goes. Sometimes that one is easy to answer, and sometimes it requires more discussion. But uh, our next segment... Cliffs and Ships! We would normally talk about our predictions... For where the show would go, the first season cliffhanger, if we have any mm-hmm. ships of characters. This is the first time we're doing it for one where we have both seen the show. So I think this should be the moment where we've kind of already talked about it in, during the synopsis. But what is present in the first episode that reveals what the first season uh, cliffhanger will be? Which a lot of shows we've watched, the pilot doesn't even set up the big bad for the yeah. first season. It's just setting up the universe. But right. we've got the master right there. And the master is, you know, the big confrontation at the end of the first season. I, I also happen to know that the whole first season was shot before they started airing it. So mm. that dream sequence that Buffy has at the beginning, the nightmares, yes. includes footage from the season finale. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah I didn't think about that. But... but you're right that like, it's like, obviously we're confronting the master. We got to fight the master. Mm-hmm. He's the He's the big bad. Yeah. If they had done, because this is a two-part, it's effectively yeah. a 90-minute pilot. If they had done just a half-an-hour pilot, mm-hmm. uh, I think that they probably would have, uh, it would have been just Darla or something like yeah. that. It would have been just uh, a couple of rogue vampires try to attack the bronze or right. something like that. They could have done a smaller story like that. And not gotten into the master until right. the first proper episode of the show. But because they had that two-parter, right. they could get into that. Or you end the first episode with them kneeling and being like, we are sorry we have failed you, yeah, master. master. And then you go <laughs> pan up to this freaking dude with his bad ears. Yeah. Um, as for ships. It was really fascinating to look at... The characters that were introduced, knowing kind of who has romantic entanglements in the future, and specifically looking at uh, Xander and Cordelia, because they end up having like their whole little thing. Yeah. Later in the f- in later on way, in the way show. Way later on. Which, when they finally get there, like I I always really enjoy the moment where they kind of couple up for a little bit, just because it it like. It feels so dumb and so wrong, like like they're not good for each other and this shouldn't happen, and yet also yeah. so perfectly high school. Yeah. And it's really fascinating to kind of look at the characters and how they're perceived. Because like Cordelia is kind of like, Ugh, 
to Jesse, mm-hmm. but there's like there's no, it's she almost barely, like Xander is below Jesse. She barely even interacts with Xander because yeah. he doesn't talk to her. He doesn't yeah. try to interact with her. Yeah, uh, it it would have been so easy for Xander to have been trying to flirt with her in the way that Jesse was, yeah. and have that be a premonition of of, yeah. of or foreshadowing of what would come later. But yeah, they barely interact. There's yeah. more interaction between Cordelia and Willow. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Will, oh, that, that I want that the, show. <laughs> No, no, Willow deserved better. Willow deserves better than what she got, and she sure as hell deserves better than Cordelia. Oh, Cordelia. <laughs> she's the worst part of Buffy. She's the worst part of Angel. Okay, that's saying a lot. There's a lot of bad parts of Angel. Sometimes Angel is the worst part of Angel, but. So, was there a relationship that you kind of thinking about much later that you like looking at it in this episode? Uh, I don't know. It's 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 interesting that they didn't. Well, no, I'll say this: the one future relationship they did kind of tip their hand to in this first episode, aside from some very weak sexual tension between uh, Buffy and Angel, mm-hmm. is uh, Willow and Xander. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first scene where Buffy's arriving at the high school and Xander sees her and gets distracted and like falls off his skateboard because she's mm-hmm. hot. Willow walks up and he goes, ah, Willow, so much the person that I, I don't remember exactly the word, but he's like, ah, just the person I so much wanted to see. And she's like, really? But they don't overplay it of her being like, oh, really? You wanted to talk to me? She's not like awkward and nervous around him. It's not obvious in this episode that she has any lingering crush. She makes the reference to the fact, oh, we used to date, but you know, when we were five, it's played more like a joke that establishes that they've been friends for a long time. No indication that she still has any feelings for him. But that moment where he says that and she's like, oh, really? Was It was subtle, so it might not have been intentional, mm-hmm. but it felt very, like, poignant knowing... Yeah, what happens What later. comes later. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, yeah, it's... Uh, there's... <laughs> it's barely obvious that Buffy finds Angel attractive, except that she refers to him as being, like, annoyingly attractive or something yeah. like that. But she doesn't seem... She doesn't act attracted to him when they're interacting. Mm-hmm. She's not like, aren't you gonna give me a kiss for good luck? Or some bullshit like that. So... And he's a, li- he's a little bit kind of giving her a hard time. I knew you'd find this entrance sooner or later. Well, to be honest, I thought it'd be a little bit sooner. You know, yeah. he's not like, oh, hello, you are so not pretty and and, yeah. and the flary. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought that that one moment between Willow and Xander was sort of poignant, but I acknowledge that it might not have been intentional. <laughs> what will this show be? I think this show will run for seven seasons. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I, it definitely I will. I think it's going to be mostly Monsters of the Week, but with sort of a still a big bad for each season that's overarching, a lot of character development. Anyway, this is normally where we predict what the kind of overall vibe of the day-to-day of the show will be. So in the case of uh, our first revisit, um, I guess we could talk about does does the pilot sort of accurately set up and I think it really does because yeah. we, like we've said, there are a lot of pilots that have a very different vibe because they're so busy setting up the u- the universe. Mm-hmm. I always come back to Lost Girl, where the pilot is all about the two different fake courts yeah. and the politics between them, and then it ends up being a detective show. Yeah, which is just not, which is not indicated at all in the pilot. So, which is odd because I think as Lost Girl goes on, like I'm deep into season two, they mm-hmm. start building into that 
world again. Yeah. But there is no reason to put all that stuff in the pilot. You could slowly build all that information over the course of a season or two. Yeah. And it would have the same impact. And if you just kept it small. Yeah. But the pilot tries to go big and epic. Yeah. With It's really important that you know that you meet the two leaders of the in, the different, the dark and light fake yeah. courts. And you understand the intricate politics between them. And then it just like throws it on the yeah. back burner. But I feel like this pilot for Buffy really does establish what the vibe that they're in the library. Uh-huh. They're trying to solve a specific problem, the yeah. harvest. Even though the master ends up remaining the big bad, the harvest is the monster of the week, effectively. Yeah. Luke kind of is their monster of the week for this particular episode. Yeah. They've only thwarted this one attempt, but mm-hmm. they don't defeat the master in that right. first episode. So it could have easily just been a random vampire that they defeated that only indicated there's definitely vampire activity in this area whatever like i think it did a really good job of establishing what the show is overarching going to be particularly for the first season while also giving you a vibe of what that day-to-day was going to be there's going to be high school bullshit there's going to be the bronze and the the scoobies will work together and research things in books and on the internet in order to solve the problem so i feel like it did a really good job of setting that up agreed yeah Hey, it's, uh, that guy. So this is the section where we get to talk about uh, if there was anyone in the pilot that we recognized from something else, someone significant. Uh, I mean, I'd completely forgotten about Eric Balfour. Yeah, being in I was, pilot. he was the one I wanted to mention because I, I think for both of us, whenever we watched this pilot last, like he just didn't register mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. He was just Jesse. Yeah. Jesse. And now it's like. Yeah, like seeing him, all I see is like Eric Balfour. Yeah. Eric Balfour in. Moving on to our next segment. I choose you. All right, so this is usually where we talk about who our favorite character is or who we want to see more of. In this Spike, case, not Angel. I know, right? <laughs> who do I see more of? Yeah, someone who's not in the pilot. Um, just based on the pilot, mm-hmm. do you remember when you when you first watched the show? who your favorite character was on the show? Willow, immediately. Yeah. 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 I I definitely bonded a little bit with Willow, partially because she's Jewish, and I just don't get a lot of Jewish characters on TV, so I'm always in love with them. And I, it makes me really, really mad that they lean so hard into the Christian imagery fighting the vampires mm-hmm. to the point that she, there's a scene where she hangs a cross on her wall and covers it with, like, a, a poster and goes boy, I hope my dad doesn't find this. It'll be really hard to explain why a rabbi's daughter has a cross on her wall. It's like barely ever a thing that she's Jewish. It's very rarely mentioned. And just pisses me off that they're like, oh yeah, but crosses work. And holy water works. Right. And there have been other versions of vampire or supernatural stories where it's explained that the reason that stuff works is because of the belief behind it. Yeah. Which I really like it when people do that. But obviously that's not what's happening in Buffy because Willow uses crosses all the time. Right. Anyway, that's a pet peeve about this show. Other than that, Willow's great. And she's really... I mean, Xander is pretty adorable and likable in the first episode. He's... he's I, Giles is great. Everyone's great. I think I connected a lot with Willow because of the stuff I was saying earlier about yeah. just like she looked like someone that I actually knew. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's just a, there's more of a bond there. And she she behaved like someone I actually knew. Yeah. Whereas like the, the fast talking kind of Sorkin-esque Buffy and uh, 
Cordelia and even Xander and Jesse, it's just like, I don't know people like this. Yeah. Whereas Willow kind of like stuttering a little bit and everything. I'm like, ah, this is a person I like that I know. Yeah. I think um, if we were watching this in that alternate reality where this isn't a hugely popular show and we could watch it for Pilot House without knowing anything about it. Mm -hmm. I think the person I would go, I want to know more backstory about this Giles guy. Oh, yeah. Because honestly, when I watched it before, even though it was only about you know, maybe 10 years ago max, um, Giles still just looked like, you know, just he's an old dude yeah. on the show. But uh, I'm just a little bit older now. And I'm like, ah, yeah, Tony yeah. Head's pretty, uh, pretty good looking dude. He's also. Haven't even, we haven't even heard him sing yet. Right. He's also the only hero who's implied to have any backstory. That's a good point. Everyone else is a kid. They don't, aside from Buffy having the experience of learning that she's uh, a slayer behind yeah. her, everyone else is a teenager. They, they, they just, you know, they're just still figuring out who they are yeah. as a person. Although there is Angel, but like, I can't imagine watching the show and I'd be curious just because, well, who is this Angel guy? Right. But in a, I hope they explain that eventually because they didn't now, but I wouldn't be like, ooh, who's this Angel guy? Because right. Angel's fucking boring. But Giles, I would be like, mm, what's this Hello. guy's story? Hello, hot I bet face. He, I bet he has a dark past and I would be right. Hello, hot face McTweety pants. <laughs> I'll be your hot cup of bubble. Shall we move on to our final segment? Yes. Final verdict. Did this pilot do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more? Obviously, we have both watched yeah. all of it. So for a revisit final verdict, we are asking, does this make you want to sit down and rewatch the show? Yeah. And I think, sub-question, do we think that it accurately represented, do we think that it accurately represented the show that followed? Which... Two questions. The, well, the sub-question, I think, is a definite yes, as we answered in our previous segment. Yeah, no, I, I agree, too. I just thought we should... That's that's something that should be established yeah. during the final verdict. But, yeah, I think this very well... It, it set up the rest of the show very well for yeah. what it ended up being. They definitely didn't take a hard turn where they went, ooh, we got to tweak this. It's yeah. not quite right. It was pretty right from the beginning. For me, what this actually makes me want to do more than sit down and watch the whole series again is I probably will pull up one of those you know, listicles. It's like the 20 most essential Buffy episodes. Mm -hmm. I could see myself watching through those. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and I have some favorites, like I, and it's even, some of them are even like not as well liked, but like, I love the episode with John Ritter where he plays the, uh, oh, mom's God. robot boyfriend, yeah. which a lot of people I know hate that episode, but no, it is so good. Yeah. I, there's episodes like that, that even though they're not, that I, I don't know if I would say it was good, it's iconic and yeah. memorable and worth rewatching for that reason. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, it, it's unfortunate that I don't think it's on Netflix at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I only have the first season on DVD. So if I wanted to sit down and do a rewatch, the easiest thing for me would be to watch the first season. And I don't particularly feel like doing Oh, but the first that. season has some... The first season, no, it leans no, more heavily into yeah, camp. No hate on the first season. Well... Some hate. Some hate. I'm, I'm not leaning as much into... A lot of people are very like, oh, the first season was such garbage. And it, it's rocky. It's, uh, it's, it's very campy. Yeah. But I don't know. I could imagine maybe watching the next episode or two, just because I can't remember how long it took them to establish who Angel really is. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. I don't remember how long it took them, even though Angel is boring. 
I, I, that's a question in my mind that I'm like, I could see popping that disc back in and maybe watching the witch and teacher's pet the next two episodes. And teacher's pet for me is the episode where the, it all, all the elements really clicked in. And I was like, this show is, is that the one where there's a teacher who's like a demon and praying mantis demon? Yeah. And it's the first time that, uh, Xander almost gets eaten by a monster lady and has to be rescued. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It was just kind of the, that was the one where I feel like that was the first one where it's like, we're beyond pilot. We're beyond demonstrating what a weekly episode could be. Here's the first episode that we really wanted to make. Yeah. Well, I love that in the first, uh, in the pilot, they do establish, they go out of their way to say, not just vampires. Who knows what we could uh, end up fighting next. Zombies. Zombies. Incubi. Werewolves. Incubi. Succubi. (laughs) I don't think we ever got succubi. Did we? Incubi or Succubi? Yeah. Mm. I don't remember, surprisingly, considering that it's like a hot, sexy teen show. Yeah. You think that they would have gone for that. They had a script for one, and they ended up not using it, and that actually got recycled into Lost Girl. Hey! Anywho. Synergy. (laughs) Anywho. I I think that about does it for for us. We we both want to watch... a little yeah. bit more anyway. And... Oh, my cat is clawing at the door yeah. to our studio, yeah. begging to be fed like a vampire, trying to break down the metal door in the in the sewers to get it. Buffy, that's a super flawless metaphor. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest star, Chris, for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. Why the nerf herder? I, it's it's a really nerdy name. Well, yeah, but like that's not what their songs generally sound like. Right. Really. It's I weird. I, I've never actually looked up. Now I'm curious. I want to look up why was it nerf herder? And on that note. <gasps> bye! Grr. Arg. Oh, God. So classic. <laughs>